Welcome, everybody. My name is Jason Martin. I'm the worship pastor here at Pathway, and it's great to welcome you. It's great to welcome those of you who are watching online and those of you who are in our classic venue and at our Moon Campus. I am grateful for the opportunity to be able to continue our teaching series called Fresh Start. And today we are talking about a topic that I believe we can all relate to to some degree. We're talking about prayer, and I believe that we all, in one sense, at least have a relationship with prayer. We all can relate to prayer. Now, we might fall on different sides of the spectrum when it comes to prayer. It might be something that we experience so very rarely, like, like a Facebook friend that you've never met in person, and you've only, in, you've only exchanged words with them a couple times, and you've actually forgotten who they were. That kind of rare experience with prayer. And then there's some of us who maybe are so experienced with prayer, it's an intimate relationship where it's something that happens in our lives from morning until night. Sometimes when we wake up in the middle of the night, we're just a praying person, and we're constantly thinking about prayer. And we might fall, you might fall in, in, in one of those areas on the spectrum, or right along in the middle of it. Prayer is something we're going to talk about today, and I believe that we all have a relationship. It's, I just have this theory that we all have a relationship to prayer, whether it's something that it's very rare for us or it's a, just a common reality in our lives. And you know what? I'm not even talking necessarily about prayer to God, the God that we've been singing about. I'm even just saying like prayer to some like otherworldly being, whatever it might be. And you know how I know this is possible, that this kind of prayer occurs, is because a while back, I was sitting in my living room chair, and my five-year-old daughter, Opal, who, if she were to talk to you today, she would be quick to tell you that in two weeks she turns six. But my five-year-old daughter at the time, Opal, was coming by next to me, and she was plugging in an iPad in the wall. And she whispered, I could hear it, but she whispered, Siri, don't let it die. Opal was praying to the Siri God that the iPad would not have battery power diminished so much that it would die before it was recharged to life. So we all have a relationship with prayer. We all have a relationship with prayer. And I want to talk about prayer today because I believe that we all might be looking for a fresh start when it comes to prayer. About a month ago, I got back a return from a sabbatical, a 10-week sabbatical, where I was able to uh, experience rest and renewal and give specific attention to my life of prayer, because I, I do believe that prayer is important, and I want that to be more and more a part of my life. And so I was able to give specific attention to it, and it was, it was incredible. It was an incredible experience to be able to, to focus on my, my life of prayer. And I'm not an expert, but I know that prayer can be intimidating. I know that prayer is hard work, that you have to be disciplined when it comes to prayer. And one of the many things that I learned about prayer is that prayer is attentiveness. It's an attentiveness. It's us being attentive with God and God being attentive with us. It's us listening. And hopefully during this time, you will be attentive and that you will take the time to listen because God might want to tell you something today despite what I say about prayer. He might want you to listen to something that he has to say. Mother Teresa passed away 25 years ago last month, and when she was being interviewed one time about prayer, she was asked, what do you, what do, what do you say when you pray? And she answered, I listen. 
And the interviewer turned the question around and said, well, what then does God say? And she replied, he listens. And after a moment, the interviewer didn't quite know what to say. And she said, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Now, some of you here may completely ex ex just understand what she is saying. You know exactly what she is saying, that I listen and God listens. But for many of us here, that might be the first time we've ever thought about prayer like that. And that is just an example of what I hope that we can talk about over our time together. The idea that we can rethink and reimagine and refresh what prayer looks like and our approach to prayer and how we have that as a part of our lives. And in order to do that, I think we could basically go through four different things to help us understand what prayer looks like in our lives and how we can have a fresh start. And those four things are very simple. It's why we don't pray, what prayer is not, what prayer is, and why we should pray. Why we don't pray, what prayer is not, what prayer is, and why we should pray. And we're going to talk about those things. The first is why we don't pray. In order for us to address and, and find uh, some solution or find, find an answer to getting a fresh start in our prayer life, we need to have some diagnostics of why we don't pray. And I would guess that the reasons I give for why we don't pray, that you might be able to relate to one or two or however many I have. The first reason why we don't pray, and I think you might be able to re relate to this, is that we forget to pray. We forget to pray. I was just in a conversation. I'm not kidding. Just in a conversation. I did not initiate it at all with someone out in, in the lobby uh, before the service, and she told me she was meeting with a friend earlier today, and she just realized that it was, it was uh, a day where they scheduled to pray together, and she forgot to pray. She forgot to pray, and we can absolutely identify this. We wake up in the morning, and we think, I need, I'm going to pray, and then we, all of a sudden it's lunchtime, and we realize, I forgot to pray. I forgot to spend time in prayer, and then we're lying in bed at night, and we think to ourselves, I can't believe I, all day I forgot to pray. Well, I could do it now. It's too late. I'm too tired. I'll start again tomorrow, and I'll pray. But often the time, oftentimes we forget to pray. Another reason why we don't pray is because we might not know the words to say, so we don't start praying. We don't start. And I know this is the case because I've been with people who will tell me that. I don't know what to say, so they don't even bother starting to pray, especially when they're with other people. So that's one, another reason why we don't pray. A, a, a third reason is because prayer is boring. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, we're in church. You're not supposed to say that. But have you ever prayed? Prayer can be boring sometimes. And the reason why is because a lot of times prayer can feel like a one-sided conversation. It can feel like a monologue. Like I'm talking, but I don't know where God is in this conversation. And that over time can, can, can affect us because we might be more interested in things that excite us and things that are interesting and things that are not boring. So we'll choose not to pray and do something else. The fourth reason why we might not pray is because we have trouble finishing our prayers. We have trouble finishing our prayers. I was just in a conversation the other day with someone. He said, I, I, I'm praying about the situation in my life. I want to pray, but you know what? 
I find, never being able, I find myself never being able to finish my prayer. And the reason why is because he gets distracted. And we get distracted all the time. Many of us have this desire, and we might wind up starting our prayers, but we get to this place where it's like, oh, wait a second. I was praying a little bit ago, and now I'm thinking about what I'm going to have for lunch. I was praying a little bit ago, and now I'm all anxious about what's happening next week in my life. Or I was praying a little bit ago, and I got that notification on my phone, and now I'm deep in the weeds of social media, and I forgot that I was praying. And over time, that can affect us because we'll say, like, I can't finish the prayer, so why start? And the fifth reason why we don't pray is because we've tried it, and it doesn't work. We've tried praying, and it doesn't work. We, we, we have that experience all the time. I prayed for this, and I did not get the answer that I was looking for. We pray, we try it, and we so often realize it doesn't work. And so, over time, that affects us, and why bother? Why bother to pray? It doesn't work. And the fifth one is even more significant than the first four, because the first four are kind of like our own issues, right? Our own efforts, our own discipline, our lack of, our lack of uh, willingness to, to continue to pray, or our lack of information. We don't know what to pray. But the fifth one, we prayed and it doesn't work, speaks into something oftentimes about our assumptions of the way that we think God thinks about us. Our assumptions about the way that we think God thinks about us. Because our, my, my prayer is not working, God must not be happy with something. Or because my prayer is not working, I must not be asking or praying the right kind of prayers. And one of the reasons why we come to this conclusion I know this is going to be hard to believe, but the Bible does this to us. The Bible can do this to us. The Bible can give us even more frustration when it comes to our prayers. Think about this. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 30, Jesus says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, Move, and it will move. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James says, The prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says to pray without ceasing. And we read just those three verses, and we come to this conclusion that something is wrong with us. We come to this conclusion that we have somehow missed something in our prayers. Because if you take them at face value, the plain reading of those verses, they will straight up mess with you. They will mess with you. Why? Because if I don't have faith as small as a mustard seed, I have no faith at all. And if my prayer is not accomplishing much, I must not be very righteous. And if my prayer is only ceasing, if it's always stopping, then I must not be worthy to pray. So of course my prayers don't work, right? I've tried it and it doesn't work, and it must be, I see it right there in the Bible, I must have things going on with my, me and my life and my approach to prayer, and these are the mind games that we play when it comes to prayer. Because I'm unfaithful, I'm unrighteous, 
and I'm unable to do what God wants me to do, God is choosing not to answer me. Or maybe even worse, he's just decided to not even listen. But that is not what those scriptures are saying. And I wish we could spend a lot more time to talk about those scriptures. Unfortunately, we, unfortunately, we can't get into what Matthew and James and Paul are saying in those verses. But I mainly bring them up to remind us that our own inabilities to pray aren't the only reasons we can be frustrated about our life of prayer. Our misreadings of the Bible can contribute to that disappointment. So let's talk about what prayer is not, because I think that might help us as we look at having a fresh start in our prayers. Prayer is not a vending machine. Prayer is not a vending machine. I think for our, a lot of our lives, if we're not careful and if we listen uh, to the Bible a certain way or teaching a certain way, we'll have this idea that if we pray the right prayers, if we put in the right change, we'll get the item that we're looking for. And if we're not getting the items that we're looking for, we must not be putting in the right change. We must not be praying the right prayers. But prayer is not a vending machine. That's not how prayer works nor is it a jukebox to, to get the, the song that we're looking for, to get the answer that we're looking for. It's not something, it's not a transaction that occurs. Prayer is also not a, a, a slot machine. It's not something that we're offering up a prayer and hoping that God will respond. It's not, it's not, it's not transactional in that way. Prayer is, it's not like uh, giving three wishes to a genie in a bottle. Prayer is not magical in that way. There's not, a, there's not a magic sense to it. That's not what prayer is. It's, it's, it's not magic. Now, over a plate of pasta with red sauce, my daughter Opal was praying for our meal. And she asked God for macaroni and cheese. I don't think she was confused about what was on her plate. I think she honestly believed in her prayer that when she opened up her eyes, that mediocre plate of pasta with red sauce would turn into an exquisite cuisine of macaroni and cheese. I think that's what she thought, and I think that's sometimes what we think prayer is. That if we believe it hard enough, or pray the right words, or say the right things, that our pasta with red sauce will turn into macaroni and cheese. But it's not magic. There's no magic formula to prayer. Prayer is not a religious practice that we use to look more religious. Now, you might try and do it, and you might look more religious, but that is not the point of prayer. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at uh, the, what is called the Lord's Prayer. So if you want to turn there, you can do that. But before we look at that prayer, Jesus introduces the topic of prayer, and he starts by saying, don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corner and who pray so that they can be seen by everyone. In doing so, their reward is in full. See, prayer is not to grab the attention of others. Prayer is not to look more religious. Now, you might look more religious when you pray, when that is your intention, when you're seeking attention. 
but your reward will be exactly what you're looking for, that people noticed you, and that is it. Prayer is, is, is not, and this might be the most controversial thing I say, but there is time. Prayer is not just a conversation. Now, I say that because I have said that many times. I have said that many times. Been with people who maybe in a small group setting, and I've asked them to pray for something, and they've been resistant to prayer, and my response is, it's just a conversation. It's just talking to God. Now, there is some truth to that, but it is not just a conversation. I've said that many times. The problem is if it's just a conversation or if it's just words that we're throwing up, we might be like the second person that Jesus warns before he introduces the, introduces the Lord's Prayer. He talks about the pagans or the Gentiles who offer up babbling, babbling prayers that are, that are words, empty phrases he uses. Offering up empty phrases. If prayer for us is just a conversation, if it's just talking, just talking to be heard by God and others, we're just saying words. And what Jesus described as empty phrases is not the goal. Prayer is a conversation, but prayer is also an opportunity to offer the fullest of phrases, which is what Jesus demonstrates in, the, in what we know of as the Lord's Prayer. When he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. His prayer offers the fullest of, of phrases. So having looked at why we don't pray and what prayer is not, let's take a look at what prayer is. What are the fullest of phrases that we can bring to God? Well, we know that it doesn't have anything to do with how short or how long a prayer is. And that's good news, because some of us can be very long-winded, and some of us just want to get a quick sentence out. Either one can be a prayer of the fullest of phrases. One of the most famous prayers in all of church history is known as the Jesus Prayer. It's different than the Lord's Prayer, but the Jesus Prayer, which is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. Just that. And that is fullest of phrases. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is a default prayer for me and my kids when I kneel next to them before they go to sleep next to their bed. Not only because it's short. <laughs> they need to get to sleep, and so do I. Not only because it's short, but because it is the fullest of phrases. And if they go to bed with that on their mind, Lord Jesus Christ, the position and person of Jesus, God, the one that we call out to. Have mercy on me, merciful God, the God who can give me mercy, the only one who can give me mercy, and not just now, but every morning his mercies are new. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That reminder not that God looks at me that way and holds me down that way, but as my approach as a sinner, I come to him longing for him, and he receives me by his mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
the fullest of phrases. I'm also reminded of a prayer that my son Braden prayed when he, about 10 years ago when he was eight. So I go into his room, I kneel next to his bed. It's time to pray. And he's going to pray first, and I'm going to pray second. And he starts and he says, God, protect us, provide for us, and pardon us. And I'm supposed to pray next. And I just say, amen. And I <laughs> quietly leave the room. Because <laughs> nothing else had to be said. It was the fullest of phrases, the fullest of prayers. Protect us, provide for us, and pardon us. I don't even know if he knew what he was saying. But it was beautiful, and that was it. That was all that needed to be prayed. Prayers can be very long and full, as we see in the Psalms. The Psalms are a list of prayers that are sung, but that are spoken in prayer. And they can be long and full, and we know that prayers can be loud, and prayers can be quiet. And sometimes prayers at their fullest need to be completely silent. Sometimes our prayers should contain no words, just listening. In fact, not talking at all might be the best thing for everyone involved. <laughs> just stop talking. My desire in this message is to help, help us foster an imagination to help you reimagine, rethink, and at least refresh your ideas about prayer to help you have a fresh start today, that today you would have a fresh start in your life of prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation, but it is also a confrontation. It is praising God and it is pressing God. Prayer is a love-hate relationship, not only loving what God does, but hating what God does and telling him about it. Prayer is also learning to love what God loves and learning to hate what God hates. Prayer is experiencing indescribable joy and yet profound discouragement. Prayer is being attentive, but it is also an event. Prayer is an in-your-face encounter with the God who Sylvia Dunstan described in her writings as the everlasting instant. And yet it is a constant experience of hide-and-seek, where God is the one who seems to be hiding and we are seeking Him, or there are times when we are the ones who are hiding and He is seeking us. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said it like this, God is beyond the reach of finite notions, diametrically opposed to our power of comprehension. In theory, he seems to be neither here nor now. He is so far away, an outcast, a refugee in his own world. It is as if all doors were closed to him. But to pray is to open a door where both God and soul may enter. Prayer is a rival for him and for us. 
To pray is to overcome distance, to shatter screens, to render obliquities straight, to heal the break between God and the world. Prayer is an intimate walk where God, our shepherd, leads us beside still waters. And yet it is an intense struggle with God as he appears to leave us in the wilderness until we realize he was with us the entire time. So prayer is much more than a conversation. In one sense, we cannot minimize it to just that word. But it is absolutely a conversation that the God of the universe, our Creator God, our Savior God, invites us into. God is inviting our requests, our concerns, our joys, our celebrations, our hopes, our intercessions. God is inviting us into that prayer. And God is so engaged with our prayers He is not distant. He is so engaged with our prayers that he fills in the blanks when we don't know what to say. As Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts, that's Jesus, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's children in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. Prayer is the kind of relationship where God finishes our sentences. And the more we get to know the Spirit of God, we are able to finish his. Prayer is a partnership. It's an invitation of God's Spirit for us to be in a transformational conversation that brings about all things for the good. I'm going to say that again. I don't want us to miss that. Because this is why I'm saying that prayer is so much more than just having a conversation with God. Prayer is a partnership. It is an invitation of God's Spirit for us to be in a transformational conversation that brings about all that is good. So Jesus teaches a prayer to his disciples, a prayer that is short, a prayer that is to the point. It seems almost inadequate in its coverage, and yet it is the fullest of phrases addressing nearly everything that truly matters in life. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we allow it to do so, this prayer can help us reimagine and refresh our understanding of what prayer looks like in our lives. I believe that. There are many things we could say about the prayer. We could spend a lot of time just focusing on each word of the prayer, but we don't have time to do that. 
There are many things we could say, but what I think might be helpful is looking at this prayer through the lens of three different statements. Three different statements. And the first statement is this. Prayer is both an intimate, personal conversation with God and an inclusive, public connection with others. It is an intimate, personal conversation with God, and at the same time, it is an inclusive connection, an inclusive public connection with others. Prayer is never just about me, but I am where my prayer life begins. It's never just about me, but, but I am where my prayer life begins. Jesus demonstrated the personal aspect of prayer in his own life and ministry. At the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, it is written in verse 35 in chapter 1 that Jesus got up, uh, got up early in the morning while it was still dark and went to a, a desolate place to pray. He went out to a desolate pray, place to pray by himself. God woke up early and went to go pray because he understood the importance of prayer. Now, there's a lot we could say about that. It's fascinating to me. But it, just by the fact that Jesus saw the importance of that personal, personal time with his Father— should say something to us and our desire to pray. But Jesus demonstrated that personal aspect of prayer. And yet, when James talks about prayer in chapter 5 of his letter, he writes about how prayer is connected to all of the community. He said, Is anyone among you suffering? Then pray. Anyone among you cheerful? Then praise. If anyone is sick, call the elders of the church to come and pray over them. Pray for those who are sick, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another. And we see in the Lord's Prayer, it is both intimate and inclusive. We see this in the first two words, our Father. The first two words. It is both intimate and inclusive. Jesus calls out to God as Father in this prayer, and those who are listening to Jesus are connected to him as the sons and daughters of God, and this connection is throughout the prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. It is inclusive. It is not just an individual prayer. It is about the community, and yet it is absolutely intimate, our Father. So Jesus is including all of his audience in this prayer as a prayer in which they pray with and for one another. And we also are included in this prayer 2,000 years later. And the people who came before Jesus, many, many years before, are included in this prayer. The people who left Egypt, departed as slaves and left Egypt, the people of Israel who wandered in the wilderness, they absolutely understood what it was like to be delivered from evil. They absolutely understood the provision of daily bread. 
So it's not just Jesus' audience. It's not just you and me. It's the people that came way before, and it's the generations that will come after us. They are included in this prayer as well. So it is an intimate prayer that I can have with God, and yet it is inclusive of every person that's ever been. That is beautiful. William Stringfellow said it like this, Prayer is not personal in the sense of a private transaction occurring in a void, disconnected with everyone and everything else. But it is so personal that it reveals every connection with everyone and everything else in the whole of creation throughout time. The reality is we need one another in prayer, and we cannot escape one another in prayer. While on sabbatical, Elisa and I had an opportunity to go to Ireland. During our trip, we visited old churches in, in Ireland and Scotland, such as St. Patrick's Cathedral, Christ Church, St. Giles Church. And during that time, we went to a few prayer services at those churches. And in one service particular, I remember because of who we were with. The minister handed us a guide that had prayers and scriptures that we would pray and say together. And for the next 15 minutes, she led us through this prayer service. And at the end of the service, after meeting some of the people, we realized that we were praying with people from Germany and Hong Kong and Dublin and Colorado. And it's a simple thing. But just on that random day, at that random time, Elisa and I were praying with people from literally all over the world. And we're praying the same prayers and reading the same scriptures, and it's an experience that I'll never forget. And there was really nothing fancy about it, except, of course, the stained glass in the buildings and the architecture of the building. But that moment, that service, very simple and very inclusive. There are times when we can go alone in prayer, and times we should. Times we need to go up to the mountaintop to be alone with the Lord. And I, we see that in the life of Jesus. I got to experience that while on sabbatical. But prayer is not always that way. Sometimes we need each other to get to that place of prayer. Recently, uh, over in Spain, there was this competition. Basically, it was a human pyramid competition. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. It's quite fascinating. These human pyramids are called castles. And over in Spain, the stadium full of people, of these groups of people who are competing to make human pyramids, the highest pyramid, the winning pyramid, was 43 feet high. Of just people climbing on top of each other. It is super bizarre. I think we should try it right now. <laughs> Never mind. But there's something about that that says something about our prayers. Sometimes we need to climb on the prayers of other people. We need the, the, the prayers of those around us to lift us up. We need to see ourselves as the prayers at the bottom of the pile. There's a lot of different ways you could look at that. There's a lot of different ways that you can understand how prayer, though it might be important to have it personally, it's important to have it with community as well. Our prayer is a partnership with one another and with God. 
a partnership where we are lifting each other up to a greater faith. And out of that comes the kingdom behavior of following through with what Jesus says in that prayer. He says, thy kingdom come. One of the ways that thy kingdom is coming is that we are a people who are flowing with forgiveness. It is an outflow of who we are. That is contrary to what we see in the world around us. We do not watch the news and see people flowing with forgiveness, where that is their first response. But kingdom-minded people will be overflowing with forgiveness. Why? Because our King Jesus is a forgiving God, and that is what he does. So we will be a forgiving people. So for in, when we think about what it means to be praying this prayer, it is in this context that we have the freedom to forgive, and it's possible, and it's connected with one another. Prayer is an intimate personal conversation with God and an inclusive public connection with others, and that involves forgiveness. The second statement we can look at is that prayer is focused on the immediate realities of right now with the hope of all eternity in mind. It is focused on the immediate realities of right now with the hope of all eternity in mind. The Lord's Prayer almost forces us, it, it, it drives us into the significance of this moment. Give us this day our daily bread. It, all, it does not even allow us to be concerned about what happened last week. It doesn't allow us to be worried about tomorrow. It is focusing on this moment, and yet it has eternity in mind. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is a grand design to God bringing in his kingdom, and yet part of it is focusing on the right now. And it is in that context where we have the freedom to trust to trust in the God who provides for us today and the God who is sovereign over all of eternity. The third statement is this. Prayer leads us into something and delivers us from something. We see, we see that in that phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are being led into being kingdom people and we are being delivered from evil. We are being delivered from temptation to do evil. And so in prayer, when prayer is right, we will always be led into something and delivered from something. When we pray, when you pray, are you asking, God, what are you leading me into and what are you delivering me from? Let me give you some ideas. Is it possible that God might be leading you into a faith that leads to obedience? I would hope so. Is it possible that God is leading you towards a trust in what God provides? Is it possible that God is leading you into a life that is speaking, breathing forgiveness? And is it possible that God is delivering you from seeking attention with your prayers? Is it possible that God is delivering you from false ideas about who God is and what he says about prayer or what we think he says about prayer? Is it possible that he is delivering you from the temptation of evil that says you are in a position to condemn others rather than forgive them? 
Is it possible that when we say, deliver us from evil, that's the evil that we need to be delivered from? The desire to not forgive, but to condemn. My friend Justin said that in prayer, like any relationship that we want to maintain, must be, must have communication that is honest and frequent. And why wouldn't we do this, he says, if God is the one who works all things for good? Why wouldn't we want to be in prayer with this God who is working all things together for the good? And I would add that prayer is a partnership. I've already said this, but prayer is a partnership that God invites us into, not just with one another, but it is a partnership with God. We are not simply invited into this partnership to make all the things good for us. We are invited into this partnership with God. And in that, in that prayer of partnership, we are making all things good for those around us. And this is why we should pray. This is why we should pray. We don't pray to change God's mind about the things that we want. We pray to let God change our minds about Him. We pray so that God might change our minds about the way that we think about others, the people sitting next to us and the people that we want to avoid. We pray so that God will change our minds about him and about those around us. We pray so that we might love the things that he loves and hate the things that he hates. We pray so that we might come to a place that the things that, that, that the desires of our heart are the things that he delights in. We pray because God listens. We pray because God is with us. We pray because God wants to partner with us in making all things for the good. And you might be wondering, okay, so what about the practical side of this? How do I do this? I've tried. And I come to you not as an expert. I come to you in all humility. I also want a fresh start in my prayer life. I had an opportunity during my sabbatical to start a routine. It's, it's, a, it's a simple thing, but it's, it's a disciplined routine where I go through a prayer book. It's called The Divine Hours. It's by Phyllis Tickle. And you basically are set up with prayers four times a day. And this is something that I've tried to implement in my life, and it has been absolutely rewarding. But some of us have to try different things when it comes to building the discipline of prayer in our lives. We might have to get up earlier in the morning, make prayer the first thing we do. I heard of a pastor who liked to put his Bible on top of his alarm so that when he went to go push snooze, he pushed on the Bible, and it was a reminder to pray. Sometimes we need to establish a routine because the desire to pray is not going to do it. It's got to be the discipline. Sometimes it might be helpful to read written prayers. And that is one thing that has been enormous for me. Growing up, there was some stigma about how you, don't, you shouldn't read written prayers. You should pray from your own heart. And I realized that my own heart 
misses the mark a lot. And I can learn a lot from prayers that are written. Prayers that are written from people today. Prayers that are written from people that lived a thousand years ago. You might have to read more prayers, and you might find that you're re it's rewarding. You might need to regularly meet with others so that they can come alongside you in prayer. You might need to be silent more often, set the phone down, turn the TV off, set aside the distractions, and just listen. You could try praying the Psalms. There's 150 of them. You've got plenty of options. When you're feeling good, when you're feeling low, there's a psalm that will meet your need. But there are different things that you can do to bring prayer into your life and a discipline in your life. We are called to listen because prayer is attentiveness, both on my part and God's part. And it is a partnership. I want to leave you with one last idea that I've been thinking about. Because a lot of times... I feel like we believe that prayer is something where we can change God's mind about something rather than seeing it as God changing our mind about him. And seeing prayer as a partnership. I have this image, and it applies to me because I am a father. I have this image of a father who's in the kitchen making a meal. A father who is fully capable of making the meal. There's nothing about him that is inadequate to make the meal for the people that are coming to his table. And yet, this kitchen, which is prayer, the father is making the meal and invites his children into the kitchen to help him make it. And so we are invited into this kitchen, or me as a father, invite my children into the kitchen to help me make the meal. I can make it on my own, and you know what? I will make it on my own. But how much better would it be if my sons and daughters could come with me and make the meal alongside with, with me? And a lot of times we look at righteousness as our ability to get into the kitchen. That righteousness is our ability to pray. If I'm righteous enough, I can pray, and I'll get answers. But in this scene that I'm imagining— the righteousness is not us getting into the kitchen. The righteousness is us tossing the salad. That is us living in the right. And while we're tossing the salad, we not only see the Father doing what the Father's doing, but we see Jesus because Jesus does what the Father is doing. And the longer that we are in the kitchen, the more time that we spend in prayer, the more, the more that we notice and, the, and that we see Jesus over in the kitchen, he is turning the water into wine. And the longer we're in the kitchen, the more we realize that he is always doing that. He is always doing that. And the longer we're in the kitchen, we look over at the table, and there were times where we got to sit at the table. But then we start to notice that there's lots of table settings, and our name is not there. Not because we're not invited there, but that's because there's other people that are coming to the seats. And we realize the longer that we're in the kitchen, the more we're okay with not going to the table because our, our role is not to sit at the table, but to be the ones who serve the meal. And it's not the people that we might expect at the table. We're actually serving a meal that is being prepared for our enemies. 
And so there's this process where I am in the kitchen, where we are in the kitchen with our Father, who is fully capable and will make the meal, but wants us to be a part of the preparation. And he wants to be a part, he wants us to be a part of serving that meal, that water that's been turned into wine, that bread of life, and serving it on a table that's been prepared for our enemies. And this is us partnering with God in prayer to make all things good. To be a people who are a kingdom people, who are oozing forgiveness. Who are fleeing temptation and evil because we're living in faith and obedience. And this is our desire, and this is what prayer can do to us. And this is why we need a fresh start in our prayers. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, whether it's something you rarely do or whether it's something that you are constantly doing in your life, every one of us could use a fresh start in our prayers. Every one of us could reimagine what God wants to do in our lives, through our lives, in in his partnership with us. So I encourage you to think differently about prayer and your role in it. We're going to finish our time by reading the Lord's Prayer together. So would you stand? We're going to read this together. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Please read along with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here in this place. I ask that you would help us, help us to turn to you, to seek you first, to hunger and thirst for righteousness that we would be a people who are partnering in prayer with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are making all things good for those around us. We thank you for your love for us and receiving us as we are. Now go before us as we follow after you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.